Welcome to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. Each week we meet a new guest and learn their story, all the highs and lows, triumphs and disasters they've faced and how they got through to the other side. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk. Hello, my name is Lewis, and in this episode, I'm joined by Barbara Van Tieflin, the owner of exclusive stay country house hotel, Keythorpe Hall. We discussed how Barbara and her partner Giles acquired the property, the benefits of the exclusive stay model, and how sustainability is the key to their offering. Barbara, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so I wanted to start by asking you if you could kind of just describe um, what Kaythorpe Paul is, um, how you came across it and kind of where the journey began. Well, so um, so we're a exclusive use country house. Um, we have 10 bedrooms, so we can sleep up to 20 adults um, and as many children as you like. Um, and I think the, the thing that sets us apart is we have a, a chef on the team who's absolutely amazing, amazing um, background in restaurant cooking. Um, but we grow all vegetables and fruit on site um, in the walled garden. So it's a bit like taking the house back to where to what it was built for, really. It was built for entertaining. Um, like back in the day, you would have a chef who... There was, a, there was a whole team of gardeners who would grow the vegetables and they would use it in the house for the family and their guests. So that's all we've done, really. Mm. So how did you first discover it? And um, what was kind of the initial attention when you, when you found it and acquired it? Um, so Giles, my partner, is, uh, is from Leicestershire originally. Um, so bought it as a bit of a renovation project. Um, and sometimes you need to be a bit naive in life, I suppose. <laughs> um, so we used it lots on weekends, put 20 friends up, had big dinners. Um, and then kind of realized quite quickly, it's, it's hard to be cooking for 20 people all the time um, and then relax and also go back to work on Monday. Um, so we always thought like if we do something with the house, it needs to be fully staffed catered um but we really wanted it to be food focused um we love food we always traveled for food so it kind of the idea started with kind of visiting different places coming across amazing restaurants uh, like Favicon or places like Babylon Storen in uh, in South Africa where kind of food was the main drive um yeah mm. so did you kind of take that into a commercial sense beforehand or is it was it still for personal kind of use no it was for personal use we had different careers um and then started renovating the house probably from 2017 um into covid um took about five years to finish the renovations and slowly kind of the idea crystallized um we started the whole the whole kind of concept started really with the walled garden where we started growing vegetables for ourselves it was totally overgrown it looked a little bit like a mini lost garden of elegant <laughs> um you couldn't see anything was six foot tall nettle self-set sycamore everywhere um so we started ripping out 
everything, uh, clearing a little patch for ourselves. And it was beetroot seeds in one hand, a book in the other hand. Like, what's the space thing? Never really done any gardening apart mm. from as a child. Um, and everything grew extremely well. So we got to a point where we couldn't eat it all. Um, and a friend of ours um, owns a Michelin star restaurant in London um, called Hyde. It's Oli Dabu. And uh, we started supplying him with vegetables. So we were in the garden all weekend, Sunday night, chuck the car full of veg, drive back to London, deliver a Mayfair and go to the office the following day, um, which wasn't really going to be sustainable. <laughs> um, but slowly we were like, okay, what, what can we do differently? So the best way of using the vegetables was really in the house. So that's how we really started. Mm. And um, so when that kind of first plunge came to start inviting guests, um, how did... Uh, how was that first experience and also um, how did you how did you find it because I, I don't believe yourself or your partner Giles have any experience in hospitality previously um, what was that kind of adapting to that role like? Um, we have a lot of experience on being on the other side so I suppose mm. we just built something that we wanted to stay at um, mm. and that was the key is kind of we were always so annoyed by like small details being missed in in places like a plug like no plug next to your bed or too far so your charger doesn't make it to the bedside table um little details like that or um if guests come with children like we make sure like everything is sorted for them um we asked like okay is there anything specific they're into so we set up a play area with the farm or with whatever it is um that they want to do um yeah so for those um first guests that stayed did you have everything set up um in mind previously was it using kind of the same cook as before or, or did you kind of find staff once you decided to kind of open it up to, to outside guests no we geared up for the opening so the house needed to be finished like those last little bits of finding kind of the right bed cover or the right side lamp um that really took months because every bedroom is different uh, and we want everything to be different and everything to be very, it feels like a home. It doesn't feel like a hotel. Um, and the same in terms of the team, we we really wanted chefs um, who were used to cooking in restaurants rather than private chefing because we wanted the restaurant quality food. Um, the ingredients are amazing. So the end product could be fantastic. Mm. Um, so let's kind of delve deeper into into that uh, renovation. Um, what was that process like and um, how basically from the start, how did you kind of kick things off? Um, after we had all the planning permissions, we've worked with an architect um, to kind of put more bathrooms in. We didn't change anything structural to the house, really. Um, it was just research and sustainability is something that's really important to us so we wanted to work with with brands um and makers um who are british um as as far as possible um and who had the same ethos really so we found edward bulmer natural paint um edward came around um we did a color consultation with him spent half a day going through all the rooms we didn't listen to everything he said, but um, uh, it was a great kind of starting point. 
Um, and then we found little things for, for every bedroom, really. So Giles has been buying antiques for 10 years or so, initially to fill the house and then to find the right pieces or to upgrade certain things. So we were just shifting and shifting furniture around um, at the end. Um, Richard Steenberg is a great antique dealer. He helped us source certain bits. We had the old sofas from uh, Babington House, which were just the perfect fit. So they kind of started a room feel homely. Um, in other rooms, we found wallpaper, certain wallpaper we loved. So we started with that and that determined the colors for the, the walls or certain bathroom items. Um, we worked with Barbara Wilson, which is a fantastic tap, tap maker. Um, very old English brand. And we spent the morning in their uh, factory. I think it was in the middle of East London, where they still had all the old kind of molds um, lying around, um, which was such a great kind of experience. Um, and they they actually used one of the old molds for us um, mm. and have now put that into production. So did you kind of want to um, keep to kind of like the traditional nature of, of, of the house or was it kind of like a, as well as updating or was that quite hard to juggle um, or, or did you have quite a strong vision, vision from the start? No, we had had a really strong vision of we wanted it to look like it could have always been there. Like obviously there weren't any ensuite bathrooms mm. originally in the house, but we found reclaimed tiles or like more kind of old fashioned reclaimed kind of sinks. Um, but yeah, you now walk into the bathroom and obviously it wasn't there, but it's it looks mm. like it was old. Um, I think I, be I believe I read somewhere that um, you discovered very old um, kind of wallpapering that kind of then expired the designs of, of the bedrooms. Um, yeah, well, how did you come across that? Yeah, there was a room that was altered um, by previous owners, and um, um, it was kind of a blocked up fireplace. Um, and when we were we reinstated the dressing room, which became a bathroom, basically. So we found this wallpaper and we couldn't recover it. It's, it's still hidden behind behind the wall. Um, but it had like hand-painted butterflies um, and flowers on it. So that was kind of the inspiration to finding a chinoiserie that kind of assembled that, um, which is, yeah, what we found. What's of Westminster? Um, amazing brand. Um, so, yeah, we... We decided to put that in in a bathroom, and that's um, that's probably the most popular bathroom now. I think. <laughs> um, what were there any kind of challenges uh, after you kind of started, like uh, um, even just undertaking, you know, finding construction people to, to do the jobs? Um, you know, f from not coming from a uh, you know with a power of like a brand or a chain behind you. Um, People, you know, maybe feeling with renovating a house, but it might be different when you have got that kind of hospitality aspect in mind. Um, was that, was that difficult to kind of get things done? No, we really build it for ourselves. Um, and, and that was always kind of the starting point. So it, it was a house and it's still a house. We just have guests in it now and then. And we still use it ourselves as well. So um, it, it's not different from a large renovation project um, in that regard. Mm. So... So was it kind of, it kind of went smoothly then? Uh, all things old or what was there any issues? What building project ever goes smoothly? <laughs> uh, um, 
I can't say it was really and in the middle of lockdown um like Italy obviously lockdown first um and most tiles come from Italy so we had to choose other ones which I think in hindsight are a better choice but um uh yeah no and the builders uh, luckily at that point we were managing or Giles was managing the whole project himself um which was helpful because we didn't have a contractor on it um um, so we could continue throughout lockdown because we couldn't live in it at that point. So let's talk about the the model that you run, exclusive use. Um, it's I think it's quite a interesting segment uh, of hospitality. Um, can you explain how you decided uh, on that, and also, in your opinion, kind of the decision for it? Um, we wanted it to be a house because we use it as a house and. We had lots of friends over and it, 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 it's still used as a house. So rather than being a B&B and open, you have to be open like every day, even when there's only one room booked, um, we wanted to cater kind of for the groups. Um, so that was the starting point really. And funnily enough, England is a little behind on, on the whole exclusive use catered offering. There's so, there's so many country houses you can rent or, or cottages where you, you take it self-catering. Sometimes they can provide a chef. Um, but what we do is we have the chef is on site. He's full-time on the team. The gardeners, the growers are full-time on the team. And they work extremely close together. So we can provide a service, but also a product that is so different. It's basically going to a hotel in a restaurant, but completely private. Um, and you see it in Italy or in, in, in France all the time. Like you rent a chateau, there's a chef. Like where else is he going to get his produce from than from the kitchen garden? Um, so that's all we're doing. Hmm. What's it, um, it's kind of like the typical uh, makeup of guests. Um, is it domestic travelers? Is it from overseas kind of, and kind of um, age groups? How is it? Um, it's a mix really. Um, the U S market for us, um, is quite an important one. Um, we do get, uh, domestic as well. Um, people from England probably stay for a weekend, a long weekend or come for a celebration. Um, overseas guests come for a holiday. Um, it's often multi-generational families where grandparents book, they bring their children and partners and the grandchildren. Um, that's probably our main uh, mm. uh, guest. Um, I don't know, you kind of offer some bespoke uh, opportunities for this day. Uh, what kind of examples are there of that? Um, basically, everything we do is completely bespoke. So when someone books, like the first thing we do is have a conversation with them, like, what would you like to do? Obviously, how long are you staying for? And, and, and what are you into, really? And we create a completely bespoke itinerary. Um, for them so we've done anything from um we grow cut flowers in in the in the wool garden so we do lots of like floristry pick your own flowers um art classes um cooking with chefs great for children as well um to falconry or uh, gin making uh, we've made our own gin from botanicals from the garden so we we kind of provide that experience for guests as well. And I guess that really helps in it kind of attracting people to, 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 to stay. Um, what's it like occupancy wise, 
like throughout the year, you know, traditional hotel would have like partial occupancy. Obviously, that's never an, uh, an option for you. Um, how do you find demand? Um, it really depends what type of guests you're talking about. So the Americans tend to come in the summer. Um, for the Brits, it's it depends on when the special occasion is. So um, it's, it's, it's year round, but the summer is, is definitely our busiest um, period. Yeah. Mm. I guess it also comes with um, some advantages of, you know, being able to keep kind of staff low, uh, you know, it helps with maybe costs as well. Um, what kind of advantages have you found of, of running that as, as a model? Yeah, exactly that. You don't need to be on all the time. Um, and secondly, we can use it as well. Um, so we still have friends to stay um, in, in, in times that we're not busy. Um, but yeah, it, it helps. Um, like you don't need to have a front of house person the whole time. Um, mm. How did you find kind of marketing uh, Keith or Paul to start with? And that kind of, as you say, the UK is a bit behind on exclusive stays. How did you find attracting people to start with? And um, was it easy or difficult? How do you find it? Um, yeah, it was a big challenge. I think setting up a, a restaurant and a hotel in one was challenging enough, but then bringing it to the world where you're, you're, you're marketing a new property, but also kind of a concept, which the press hadn't really switched on to yet um we see more and more and in scotland there's some amazing um there's some amazing houses um but yeah and i think for the, the type of clientele or type of guests we get lots of them book through their private travel agents mm. so that's a really big marketing channel for us um i i guess um as well with uh, kind of the type of clientele and obviously it's probably more in the luxury end of the market it's quite resilient to kind of the market conditions and, and you know tr trading um at the moment um how has there been any kind of change in in demand with, with the economy and how that's been going or has it been quite resilient the whole time no it's been it's been good we had a uh, our summer was booked out um so we were very lucky in that sense that we're in that segment um we do organize like supper clubs for the local community to come in um at weeks where we're not booked where we we didn't want to build something and not show people around us what we're doing so we do supper clubs every other month where you can just book a seat on the dining table basically um and yeah, and that has slowed down a little, um, but our general stays are, yeah, very resilient. Mm. So do you think this will be kind of like an area in the market that will continue to grow? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because post-COVID, people are looking for a hotel experience, but totally private because they don't really want to... Um, like either mix with other guests or be seen somewhere else... Um, so, yeah, you see that some of the big hotels like Mandarin Oriental has started this villa program and there's a few others who, who, who are targeting it. So, yeah, it's definitely an area of growth. Do you think as well it comes with kind of our need for personalization nowadays? There's so many different experiences. Everyone wants kind of their own unique stay. I guess that kind of comes back into the bespoke offering. Do you think we'll see a growth in, in that as well? Yeah, because we can. It's just about putting the effort in for a guest, really. Because why 
if, if they're coming for a totally private experience, why would we need to serve them something that's from a menu? Like, why not have a conversation and ask, what do you actually want to eat? Or what wine do you want to drink? So after we kind of had that initial chat, um, Bent or, or head chef has a, has a chat with them as well. And he asked those questions like, what do you want to eat? What's the occasion? Should we do kind of a formal meal one night and family style the other night? Let's switch it up. Or um, what do you hate eating? Um, do you have any dietaries? And then he creates a completely bespoke menu for them. Um, once that menu is kind of decided and the guests are happy with it, um, they have a chat with Bert Blaze or Wine Conjures. Um, Bert was Young Sommelier of the Year in 2017. Um, and he's gone on to, to write some books uh, on wine and food pairing. So that's really his passion. Um, and he has a similar chat. So rather than presenting guests with a, a wine list, um, we just ask what wine they would actually prefer and then uh, we buy it in especially for them Mm. from your experience do you think it's a a kind of a um, segment that could maybe move into maybe more of a the mid-scale pricing range for like maybe smaller bmbs or do you think it's something that is kind of finely attuned to a more luxury offering do you think it would be possible to do it in on a smaller scale yeah, yeah, yes. In terms of, it can totally work as a farm stay or something like that, um, where your costs probably are, are lower as well than running a country house. Um, so that will help. But ultimately, it takes a lot of time to put those itineraries together. So um, it can't be too mid-range or low end of the market because someone has to do that ultimately um, mm. and have to spend the time. Um, so we touched on it a little bit about sustainability, um, being an emphasis on your offering. Um, how, how did you decide on that? Was it always something from the beginning with the walled garden and you kind of just permeated it through, through the, the offering or was it something that, you know, you've just adopted over time? It's more like a lifestyle. We've always been very conscious, um, of kind of sustainability of organic food um and before we launched really i think right when we had started renovating the old garden um we went to ballymaloo in ireland which is a famous cooking school um but at that year they offered for the first time they offered a sustainable food course which was six weeks internal um and a fantastic experience the most magical place um and we did everything from like growing vegetables, like touch on every single vegetable you could imagine to cooking to, we got, had lectures by different professors and talking about kind of food systems. Um, and that really changed kind of how we lived our life really. Um, like eating organically, not wanting to use any chemicals in the garden, um, baking our own bread, um, yeah, so it kind of was more like a lifestyle we already had and being conscious about it. And also, like, why we have so much amazing produce around us. Why do we need to import anything else? Why would you have Wagyu beef if the beef in the next field is amazing? It's grass fat. Mm. Like, the farmer really cares about his animals. It's like a small 
small holding. Um, so we know every single supplier um, we work with, um, we need, yeah, we want to make sure they have the similar ethos. Not everyone is organically certified. We're not. Um, as, a, as a small garden, like our world garden is two acres, it doesn't make any sense financially to do to go through um, those those loopholes. But um, it's more about the ethos. Um, so everyone in our supply chain needs to adhere to that. Um, so we call it a value chain rather than supply chain, really. Mm. Has there ever been any challenges from kind of sticking to that ethos or has it been something you've been able to cultivate quite quite easily? Um, sometimes, like explaining to a guest who's coming in June that there's no tomatoes. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's summer. Why do you, do you not have tomatoes? So it's kind of offering alternatives and, and educating guests on what through seasonality is. And it was hard in, in hiring staff as well. We interviewed chefs and like, yeah, um, can you design us a menu? Can you give us an example of, of a, a dish in spring? Yeah, butternut squash. It's not really sure. We can store them over winter and we do. But in June, you're not really eating butternut squash. Mm. Um, has, has that been something that you've seen guests kind of warm to over time that you know it's, it's been it's become easier to explain that to them and and there's been a development yeah like some some guests are really into it um and they want to know every single detail and where it's from and other guests care care less and we don't really want to shout about it too much it, it's not sustainability is such a natural thing um for us at least so we talk about it, we explain as much as a guest likes to hear, but we don't want to like push it through their throats. Mm. And um, before we move on to our next segment, um, where would you or how would you like to see kind of the Keythorpe Hall um, develop over the next couple of years? Like, what's your vision over the next three years? So many ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's so much opportunity and we have, we have lots of different ideas. We're launching a, um, a homeware um, and table wear range um end of this week actually um with a local artist who's designed um lots in the house based on kind of flowers in the walled garden um so that's very exciting um we're continuing with the supper clubs we're doing workshops um yeah they're they're the opportunities are endless um yeah we well, hope they go well for you. Um, so yeah, our, our next segment is kind of to get to know you as a person, <laughs> the personalities behind uh, hotels and, and guest days. Um, so I want to start off by asking you, what's your favourite book? Um, probably a book or favourite. It's one of the recent books I've read um, by Will Gudera. Uh, he's the guy behind Eleven Medicine Park um, and it's called Unreasonable Hospitality. I can rent, uh, recommend it to anyone in or out of the sector because it talks about customer service and the decision-making process behind everything he does. It's just so phenomenal. Um, yeah. Mm. Do, you, do you often kind of read to help with your understanding of hospitality or is it just kind of by fun and that just happened to be a kind of one that you came across? Um, yeah, and gardening as well, really. I kind of... Yeah, I read a lot of books about market gardening and how that works because that's ultimately where it started. Um, and then, yeah, 
a mixing of passions. Exactly. It's just interesting. Um, do you have a pet hate? Um, probably when you go to a restaurant and um, like the wine waiter automatically gives the wine list to the man on the table. <laughs> and even worse, if they then come back with the wine and they let him taste it while yeah. you have ordered it. Yeah. yeah I can definitely see why that would be <laughs> annoying. Um, your favorite holiday destination? Oh, um, Favicon was definitely a highlight. Unfortunately, that closed probably a couple of years ago. Um, but it was magical. Um, I think I mentioned Babylon Storen um, in, in French Hook in South Africa as well, which was a really great inspiration for us. Um, mm-hmm. um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um... My parents always told me to think for myself, um, to get you out of any situation really. Um, and I think that's something I really kind of teach my children now as well. Mm. Um, who was somebody that, uh, maybe inspired you growing up or like if you had a childhood idol? Um, it was probably my economics teacher actually in secondary school. Um, he talked about this kind of world in London. Um, so yeah, after I studied, um, um, I did financial economics as a master's in at a university in Holland, um, moved to London and kind of, yeah, went after that. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Barbara, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk.